At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Here's what's ahead on this busy Tuesday. We are just about 24 hours away from the Fed rate decision. And rates, they're rocking. 11-year high for the 10-year yield. 15 years since we have been this high on the two years. And that is going to be a huge hidden tax on tens of millions of you. We'll tell you why. Plus, FedEx warning of a serious economic pullback. But many other companies are saying things don't look quite so bad. So who's right? We'll call it FedEx versus everybody. And Beyond Meat has been beyond bad. Shares wiping out 85% of investor value and adding insult to injury. The company's COO involved in a beef at a college football game. The exec apparently taking a page out of Mike Tyson's playbook. That bizarre story is ahead. We'll get to it. We begin with another down day for the markets. Dom Chu has the numbers for us. A down day triggered, Brian, by higher interest rates. You mentioned those 10-year yields. Even inflation-adjusted yields, so-called real yields, over 10 years ago since they've been as high. So that inflation picture is ticking higher. So is the rate picture in response to it. The Dow Industrial is down 350 points, over 1% declines. They're similar for the S&P 500, which sits at 38.56. Now, we're down 43 points. At the highs of the session, we recall it down 23 points, down 56 or so at the lows of the session. So tilting towards the lower end of things, down 1%. And believe it or not, the Nasdaq Composite at 11,455, down I say this tongue-in-cheek a little bit, only 80 points is the outperformer on the day, down just about two-thirds of 1%. What's interesting about that is, if rates are rising, why are tech stocks not getting hit as hard? Well, check out what's happening with some of the mega-cap names in this market. There is downside. There's no doubt about it. Look at Microsoft down 1%. Market perform, you can call it. Alphabet down one and two-thirds percent, one and a half percent for Amazon. But Tesla is actually up nearly 1%, and Apple is up one and a half percent. So there are some signs of life in that beaten-up technology consumer discretionary sector. If rates are rising and we're seeing a tiny bit of a bounce in some tech stocks, what does that signal about perhaps investor sentiment? Keep an eye on that. And then the stock of the day, worst performer in the S&P. Ford Motor down about 10 and three quarters percent right now, $13.33, Brian. This is a stock that got crushed after yesterday's closing bell into today after it warned investors that its costs would be around a billion dollars more than they had anticipated because of supply chain issues and whatnot and inflationary pressures. All Mm. of that weighing on the stock. But I will say this, Ford did reiterate its full year forecast. Many of those deliveries for those vehicles held up in production because of parts shortages will be delivered, anticipated, by the end of the fourth quarter. So keep an eye on Ford shares down 10.5% in trading. I'll send things back to you, Brian. A lot of people want that electric F-150 Lightning, but you can, you can want it, but getting it is a totally different story. Don, thank you. All right, let's get now to the big story that is moving your money right now, and that is higher interest rates, better known as borrowing costs. A 10-year yield hitting a decade high going back to April of 2011. We're now hovering at 3.6%. Compare that to the pandemic low of 0.3% in 2020. I hope you refied. That is a stunning surge off the lows. Rick Santelli is here to put it all in perspective. I mean, the move 
monster. Yeah, it is so monster move. If you look at a two-week chart of tens, you can see the buildup to what occurred yesterday, which was technically significant. And that was, open the chart up to June 1st, we closed above that spike in mid-June, which was just a bit below 3.5%. And that really did open the floodgates to some extent. And if you open the chart up to early March of 2020, you could see what Brian's talking about. Whether it was early March when you had a low yield close of 0.54% or the all-time low yield close, which was on August 4th of 2020 at 0.51%, so half of 1%, it has been a big move. And what makes it even more intense is the notion of rate of change. Many have said, well, interest rates in the 70s and 80s were much higher, but it's the rate of change, how quickly they've moved higher, and of course, discounting future earnings at a much higher short overnight rate is taking a whole lot of zing out of the stock market. And it isn't only here, it's all across the globe for a variety of reasons, inflation and inflation rising for a variety of reasons in Europe, mostly energy related. But look at boom yields. They also yesterday closed above their mid-June high, which was 1.77%. They closed at a fresh eight and a half year high. Boons uh, indeed did that as well as UK gilts, which closed at a fresh 11 year high. And get this folks, Brian, buckle up. You know what August year over year PPI was in Germany? 45.8%. Yes, that's right. 45.8%. And that's August. In July, it was 37.2. In June, it was 32.6. Energy, energy, energy. And it isn't even that cold out yet. Back of course, you. you know I know, Rick, because I was in Germany a month ago for CNBC talking about this. I was in the UK a year ago, well before the invasion. Factories are starting to shut down. They're going to curtail production. It's it's impossible to think how Europe does not go into a long, steep depression how or recession. How about this, though? I still do my, my RBI, random but interesting, on Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Eastern. Tune in, everybody. And today I talked about the national debt. We don't talk about the national debt anymore, okay? $30 trillion. The reason I brought it up, Rick, is that not only is the debt going up, but with rates going up, it's not inconceivable that the U.S. government, i.e. all the taxpayers are going to be spending a trillion dollars a year just on interest costs in, say, maybe a decade or even less. That is insane. Yeah, it is insane. And, and right now it's probably in the neighborhood of 500 plus billion and moving higher closer to 600 billion. But you're right. It's eventually going to get to a trillion dollars. And think about that in deference to some of our other big bills like Social Security, Medicare. It's going to start to dwarf those and it's going to take such a make such a big hole in our budgets that we really ought to not only think about how much damage that is doing just to our accounting in general, but think about this. It's putting some significant saddlebags on the U.S. economy. The more debt we pile on and the more programs we try to help people with that need it, the rougher it is for the economy to get those two and a half and three percent GDP levels. Five hundred billion now going up. That's money not going to schools, not going to health care, not going to Head Start, not going to roads. Not going to the military, not going to bridges. And by the way, both parties 
are equally guilty at spending like drunken yeah, yeah. But I'll sailors. They're drunken sailors quickly, on the same ship. Just so viewers understand, viewers need to understand, we're still collecting record amounts of tax revenues from April. Record amounts. So really the issue here, in my opinion, isn't how much we collect in taxes. It's about spending, spending, spending. Yep. And of course, yep. all of those roads lead to debt. That, talk to any personal finance person. It's not, it's not what you make. It's what you spend. That's true with families and governments. Rick, thank you. All right, we are 24 hours away from the highly anticipated decision on interest rates. The market pricing in a hike of 75 basis points, a.k.a. three-fourths of 1%. But will the Fed go even bigger? Should they go even bigger? And what will they say about the rate road ahead, which may be more important? Joining us now is former Federal Reserve Governor Randall Krosner, currently professor of economics at the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago. I have two friends' kids that have you as a professor. Their name will go unnoticed. I will not mention their names. You're terrified, perhaps, of this interview. <laughs> professor, welcome, <laughs> welcome, back, welcome back to CNBC. I hope not. Oh, my uh, goodness. Listen, I think, do we care if it's 75 or 100 basis points tomorrow? I think we do, because I think if the Fed uh, surprises the markets and goes 100 basis points, that suggests they're much more worried than we think they are. And, and I think that would cause a lot of tumult. But I think it's pretty clear that they'll go 75. I don't really see why they would need to move, uh, uh, move 100 basis points. I don't think they were that surprised that the core um, inflation numbers were not coming down, because rents are such an important driver of that, and rents are lagging. I think they will come start to, to grow at a lower pace, but not yet. And what do you expect them to say? Because you know what I mean. As a former oh, yes. Fed governor, you had to, like, break out your thesaurus every time you wrote a <laughs> statement. What is this? How's the market going to interpret this word versus that word? What do you want oh, them exactly. to say? What will they say? Because it's exactly, if you look at the transcripts as they're published with a five-year lag, you'll you may be surprised to find that most of the discussion is about what to say rather than whether it's 75 basis points or 100 basis points. There's usually pretty clear consensus on that, but what to say, there's a lot of, uh, lot of uh, d- discussion about that. So we're going to be getting some forecasts out. Undoubtedly, they are going to be forecasting, or at least I believe they're going to be forecasting to be have a forehandle on interest rates by, uh, by the end of this year and forecast to probably be between 4 and 5% for most of 2023. Uh, so I think that they're going to be trying to talk through that to make sure that they are maintaining their credibility, their inflation-fighting uh, um, uh, bona fides, which I think they have because inflation expectations ha- have come down over the last month. Uh, they didn't get out of the uh, the range they've been in for the last decade, so they weren't too far gone. And now I think they've really bought a lot of credibility. You know, we, we talk about rates all the time on this network as it pertains to our viewers' investments. And we should, and we care. We care about their investments, right? We are the worldwide leader in business news. But I worry more, Randall, spending a lot of time in the Midwest, north of where you are, what these rates are going to mean for the average American household. Given the rate of revolving debt, credit card debts at record levels, many other debt levels, debt service, I get it, is manageable now. Can the American economy withstand 5% interest rates, 6% interest rates? So it um, certainly this is these are rates that in the old days, those would have been good rates. Uh, these days, we think of them as being being particularly high. I mean, obviously, the increase in rates is having a very big impact 
on mortgages. And, uh, and then the consequence of that is impact on, on housing prices. So people who have 30-year fixed rate mortgages, they're okay in terms of the debt service, but it's going to affect uh, the value of their house if they come to sell it. And, and we're sort of seeing some of that uh, uh, downturn in many, uh, many markets now. So I think that, that has an important impact on, uh, on your average household. And as you said, other borrowing costs uh, will, be, uh, will be going up. Now, potentially, hopefully on the positive side, eventually we'll start to see some, uh, uh, some uh, checking accounts and savings accounts pay a little bit more than they have in the past, although they've been pretty slow to raise those rates. Yeah, isn't that funny how that happens, that spread? You know, and listen, if your interest costs go up $250 a month, hopefully your wages go up 250 or a month. And that's been what's happening. Do you think the pace of wage increases can continue as well? So they have been, they've been much faster than they have been in the past. But of course, inflation is four times what it's been in the, uh, in the recent past. So they haven't quite been keep, wages haven't quite been keeping up with, uh, with overall inflation. And that's, of course, what's making people very upset. It's not just about having a job. It's very important to have a job. But the reason that you have a job is not to have a job for itself because you want to put a, have a good standard of living for your, your family. If you're working hard, but prices for food and prices for gasoline are going through the roof, you're not really better off. You're, you're, you're worse off. And so that's the thing that I think people will be focusing on. The key will be, can they bring inflation yeah. down enough um, without bringing, without crunching wages so that people's income can be maintained and we can have a softish landing rather than a uh, hard landing. Oh, that's becoming increasingly... This, this question may sound insane and it's, you got a quick answer. I'm sorry. When do we start talking about rate cuts? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, pretty late in 2023. But a year and a half off, not five years off. Well, I mean, uh, a year or so. Randall Crosner, University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Randall, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, 20-year bonds. Speaking of interest rates, just up for auction a few moments ago. Let's get the grade with Professor Santelli at the CME. Yes, Brian, when we were on the air, maybe viewers noticed rates started to slip down a bit. And that's because the $12 billion of 20-year bonds hit the street and... It was a terrific auction. I gave it an A minus very quickly. The yield was 3.82. The one issue market was hovering around 3.83. Lower yield, higher price. And the metrics that really caught my eye, indirect bidders at 75.3. Super strong. That represents foreigners. We want them buying in. And dealers only took 8.1% of the auction instead of 10 auction average of 13%. No matter how you sliced it, they definitely wanted those 20-year. And in front of a big rate increase tomorrow, that speaks volumes about where investors think rates may ultimately be going. Back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. All right, as the Fed prepares for another rate hike, you might have heard about it, and the two-year yield hovers near 4%. You might have heard about that as well. Investors are increasingly worried about the central bank's ability to navigate a soft landing for the economy. In other words, will these rate hikes ultimately send the American economy into a recession? Permabear economist Nouriel Rabini thinks so. He said today that he thinks stocks could fall for 40% more from here and the U.S. economy may enter a long, painful downturn. Let's talk about it and opportunity, by the way, amid the uncertainty and ask Mark Smith, senior VP and portfolio manager at Wells Fargo Advisors. Mark, do you see like a prolonged depression recession and a 40% haircut to stocks from here like Nouriel Rabini does? 
I don't see it going that bad because all my clients are talking about where, 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 where the, where's the value right now in the market? Where, where are we seeing opportunity? As long as, long as you have investors looking long-term like that, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do uh, feel that I remember hearing something two years ago. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the Fed. Well, if you're going to say that then, you better say it now. And the Fed is going to continue to raise rates uh, month over month. Inflation is up. Um, just just a number. Right. Last year, uh, last month, it was it was um, it, it went up about point one percent. And so if that's the case, the Fed has to act. They're going to continue to act. Um, unlike your, your previous guest, uh, Crossner, I, I can't say that next year rates are going to start to go down because the numbers don't dictate that. So if you're saying that, you're really just guessing. Well, I, I think, so I think Fed- to, Mark, to be fair, I think, I think Professor, I don't want to speak for him. Maybe he could jump back on the phone or something. I, I don't think he's saying the rates are going to go down. I think he said that's when we start talking about rates going down. It's like talking yeah, about yeah. the Jets winning the Super Bowl. You can talk about it. It doesn't mean it's ever going to happen. Agreed. Agreed. So I think they're just going to be talking about it for a while, because from what I understand, when I talk to my clients, they're still selling their real estate at all time highs, Um, at least in Northeast. They are Uh, rents. I haven't heard one of my clients who's a landlord saying they're going to lower rents because they're a nice guy or or, or, or a young lady. Um, Rents are still going up. They're ticking up. Uh, Maybe in some parts of the the Midwest, that could be different. But in these major urban areas, rents are still at all-time highs, and that's a big driver of inflation. The Fed has to act to address that. Well, you're making a great point because rents, to your point, most people lock into like a year lease, right? That, that lease goes up. They're locked into those higher prices for at least a year. Home payments, home sales, that's a big deal. Uh, this is sticky inflation, Mark. That, that, and that's what the Fed has to deal with. So I don't know if it's the soft landing is happening right now. If you're looking at where uh, inflation is right now compared to what last month, and is it going in the right direction? Um, I think the Fed may have to act and act aggressively to, to, to combat it, to your point. So what are you advising all those clients to do now? They can mark, market's down 25%. Rubini says we're going to lose another 4%. Scott Minard says another 20% down. What are you advising them to do besides breathe into a bag, Relax. Think long term. Well, listen, most of your, most of my clients are long term investors. None of them are day traders and trying to make a buck uh, from month over month. So that's a, that's the good news. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is look historically at what sectors have done well uh, when rates are higher. And one sector that's undervalued and continues to show, I think, a lot of strength is the financials. Um, since 0809 and Dodd-Frank got passed in Washington, these uh, these banks have had to be lean and mean and also only take on good quality debt. I think uh, CEO Jamie Dimon said they almost have no bad debt on their balance sheet. That's a pretty powerful statement for a bank to say the size of uh, of his. And I think many of these other firms, because of uh, the regulations that have in 0809 to prevent that from happening again to the financials, um, are really, really poised to, I think, benefit with this rising rate environment because they're going to make more money because of net interest margin, mortgages, um, credit card debt. They're going to make a, a, a lot of money in an environment where the, the spreads are higher. So um, I buy the financials, uh, specifically, you know, looking at the XLF beginning of broad swath of the financials in your portfolio, because that's the one yeah. sector that I think historically has continued to do well uh, yeah. in, in the right environments. Good stuff. And you, you might have heard Randall Crosser talked about how banks are going to give you a little less than they're taking in. Maybe that NIM, net interest margin spread, is going to grow. Mark Smith, Wells Fargo Advisors. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so much left to do. And coming up, it's FedEx versus everyone else. 
why they are saying something others are not about the state of the American economy. Despite raising rates and the threat of a recession, one firm says now is the time to invest in energy stocks. And we'll name names as the exchange rolls on after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to The Exchange. CEOs have been sounding off on the economy, some sounding like the alarm like FedEx, some keeping a little more calm. But let's start with FedEx. Do you remember this big market-moving comment to Jim Cramer? The U.S. Uh, consumer uh, has, you know, definitely spending less, but, you know, the U.S. has been somewhat insulated because the U.S. dollar is, uh, you know, is, a, is, is the currency of choice for the world, and there's some insulation there. But, you know, I do see the U.S. is slowing down, too. That's some pretty scary stuff, and it moved the entire market. But keep in mind, there's been a very different tone from others. Home Depot, Marriott, Ralph Lawrence, seemingly managing macro headwinds just fine. It's not stopping Home Depot from selling a ton of stuff. It's not impacting forward bookings at Marriott, at least not yet. And Ralph Lauren is well-positioned going into the holidays, so they say. It makes sense of it all. It's bringing a man who's got a front row seat to the C-suite, and that is Steve Odlin. He's the president and CEO of the conference board, a CNBC contributor. All right, so, Steve, you talk to CEOs all the time across every industry. What are they saying? Well, Brian, CEOs are very pessimistic right now. In the conference board's latest CEO confidence survey, over 90% of them say that the U.S. is going into a recession. And they say this is primarily caused by the actions of the Fed. You know, they're not criticizing the Fed, but they're saying, look, the Fed's goal is to get inflation down to 2%, and they're willing to take some collateral damage, meaning that the GDP will go down and jobs will, grow, will go down as well. So they are very pessimistic. Now, juxtapose that to the consumer confidence, which actually went up last month, which was a surprise after two months of declines. And consumer confidence is a little higher and spending stays up because gas prices have come down for eight consecutive weeks. Even though food prices are up double digit and you've got core inflation going up, you know, the gas price was a great reprieve and they're feeling a little bit better. So you've got these mixed data going on. The fact of the matter is that we are forecasting at the conference board a brief and shallow recession based on the activities of the Fed, both in quantitative tightening and the increase in the discount rate to near 4%, which is what we think is going to happen over the coming year. Okay, yeah. I mean, because the, the debate, Steve, as you know, is, I mean, what's FedEx seeing? I mean, they're a great company, one yeah. of the best-run companies in the world. They see the world. They've got a unique fingerprint, a unique viewpoint. And it's kind of like, whoa, is FedEx, like, doing their own thing? Like, what's in the punch? 
Well, FedEx, you know, they, they can see uh, the, the pipeline and what's coming over the ocean, what, what's in the shipment pipeline. So, you know, they've got all that down. We are forecasting a U.S. recession. Conference board is also forecasting a European recession. The conference board is also saying that Russia and Ukraine are already in a recession. There, we're not forecasting a recession for some of the major Asian uh, economies, and we're not forecasting that global GDP in aggregate will decline. But you know, if you're in China, Brian, and your your GDP growth rate goes yeah. from you know four or five percent down to two percent, that's painful. That's a big change, and you know it's okay. So it's technically not a recession. But that has material impact. So some of this is just a you know a little bit of lingo. The fact of the matter is GDP is receding and yeah. there is pain coming around the world. Okay, looking at that research report, there is some good news. Feels like there's a lot of bad news lately. I want to have some good news here. U.S. companies are now budgeting for the largest annual salary increases in more than 20 years. That sounds like good news, right? Well, you know, it depends on which side you sit on, right? So. The, well, if I'm getting uh, the paid, I'm last happy. Year. So this isn't right. <laughs> exactly. So so a year ago, the budgets were at 3.6 percent increase. The actuals came in for 2022 at 4.1. So you know another half a percentage point. This 4.3 percent budgeted growth rate in in uh, salaries for next year for 2023 is the highest in over 20 years. Now, part of that is good, but then the question is, is that going to keep up with inflation? So we go back to the previous conversation. What's inflation going to be? And we are forecasting it to be near 6% this year, close to 3% next year before it gets under control in 2024. That sounds good, so Steve. 3% good sounds nice. Year. That sounds good. 3% is it like the new 0%. I know. Isn't it great? And especially if, if they, in fact, do raise wages by over 4%. But that's also... In, you know, impacted by a, a labor shortage. You've got a low labor participation rate and so forth. The other thing is, you know, typically when you go into a recession, you're looking at, you know, the increase in the discount rate, increase in borrowing rates, all of that, which slows down inflation. But there's usually collateral damage in the labor market. In this case, there are still 11 million job openings. Mm. So that's a lot of open positions, yeah. Brian, that CEOs can eliminate before they start eliminating jobs that are just- filled. That should be a different experience than in the past. I just don't know where the workers are coming from. I don't know where they went. To be honest with you, Steve, I've talked to hundreds of businesses. I had a plumber at my house today, this morning, talked to him. He says, I got, if, I, if I get 80 people to try to start, one may stick around, the other 79 bail. I was in my kitchen this morning. Yeah, you might have to, you, you may have to fix your own leaks, Brian. But look, I think the, no the issue is that we've got a lot of people. <laughs> you got a lot of people, a lot of baby boomers who stepped out during the pandemic and haven't gone back. You still have a lot of women on the sidelines, yep. uh, you know, who are dealing with elder care and child care issues. You know, so, and then you've got the whole issue around uh, immigration, which is our system's broken. We're not going to get into that, but we do have a labor shortage. We do have 11 million job openings. So this is a really different kind of recession than we've ever experienced before. It's amazing. They got to do something about child care. I, I have friends, they, they quit. Maybe the husband, maybe the wife, because they can't get child care or it's so damn expensive. Sorry, darn expensive, Bertha, I apologize for that language, that it doesn't make sense. It's just like after taxes, commute, costs, whatever, you're left with so little that you might as well just stay home. Because if the child care is going to be $2,500, $3,000 a month, taxes X, commuting X, food X, oh, and by the way, time away from home, doesn't, they got to fix in child care seems like a big deal for fixing the job market. Steve, we got to go. 
Conference Board. We'll talk more about it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. All right. Speaking of corporate America, Hispanic representation in boardrooms is starting to rise. Bertha Coombs is here now with the numbers to know and why investors should care. I'm sorry for the language. <laughs> I got a little fired up, Bertha. Well, here's a, a bit of good news okay. as well. You know, the Latino Corporate Directors Association says they saw double the demand last year for help with board searches. Luis Marconi was one of the candidates that they recommended, and he landed a seat on American Outdoor Brands in June after 25 years at Hormel. The outdoor firm has seen its customer base become increasingly diverse, and so they sought out the avid fisherman and diver in part because of his expertise growing brands in the Latino and South American markets. This is where you draw from the experiences of being exposed to business cases in different geographies or in different cultures that will trigger some ideas that perhaps your competitors are not seeing. The push for more representation on boards has resulted in nearly one in four directors on S&P 500 boards being of racial or ethnic, uh, a racial or ethnically diverse group. Yet, while Hispanics now make up 5% of S&P board members, that's a new high, that representation is disproportionately lower compared to its population size. All diversity gains are important and significant, and we need more of it. But Latinos from all of the, the um, perspectives have still been the least tapped when you look at what, who are the new directors being appointed. Luis Marconi's seat on American Outdoor Brands Board actually stands out, Brian, because when you look at the Russell 3000, only about one in three actually has a Hispanic board member. So there is a lot of room to grow there. Any great team, any great company, any great organization needs a pipeline. If you, don't, you can have a great, some great stars, but if you don't have a good young bench, you're going to end up like, like the Red Sox this year, Bertha. I'm sorry. <laughs> So is where, of, what, is is the, the what is this board pipeline? Because we're, we, we do tend to see a lot of the same people in the same jobs. Exactly. So, I mean, for Luis, for example, he was a vice president at Hormel. He didn't really have a team to be able to go serve on a corporate board at that time because his job was all consuming. Now he's retired. He can do that. One of the things is that you're looking at groups like the Latino Corporate Directors Association, the Hispanic Association of Corporate Responsibility. They are trying to help these up and coming executives to help them climb the ladder to get to those senior positions and then to be more in a position to be tapped to be on a board. Because yeah. at the moment, you only have three to four percent Hispanic. Which CEOs Hispanics are like 20 percent of the American population. Exactly. So that proportion seems a little bit off. Exactly. So there's a there's a big room to grow, but it really is about helping develop this next generation. There you go. Bertha Coombs, important story. Bertha, thank you very much. All right. Now, let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News Update. Brian, thank you very much. Here's what's happening at this hour, folks. An explosion destroyed the top floor of an apartment building on Chicago's west side. Eight people injured, been rushed to local hospitals. At least one car was crushed by flying debris. The cause of the explosion has not yet been determined. In Connecticut, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has made his first appearance outside a defamation trial to determine how much he should pay for saying the Sandy Hook school mass shooting was a hoax. Jones calls it a show trial. It's unclear when he will be called to testify. On the news with Shep Smith uh, tonight, sifting through the damage from Hurricane Fiona in Puerto Rico and the fight to restore power and supplies of fresh drinking water on the island. That is tonight, folks, at 7 Eastern time. 
And a little bit of normal now. Returning to Kyiv, McDonald's has reopened three of its restaurants in the Ukrainian capital. This nearly seven months after closing all its Ukrainian locations following Russia's invasion. For now, only delivery service being offered. McDonald's continues to pay more than 10,000 employees in the country. Brian, back to you. That's some good, it's small, but it's good news, Tyler, right? It, it is. is. Small step start as Putin hopefully gets his butt kicked. Yep. Tyler, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, still ahead. Energy, by far the best performing sector so far this year. But my next guest says there is still room to run, particularly in some stocks and one subsector in the space. He's initiating several names, including this one. with a 30% upside scene. What's the mystery chart? We're going to bring it out for you. And do not forget, CNBC's Delivering Alpha is back in person. Woo-hoo. September 28th, we're going to get the best ideas from the world's top investors. And scan the QR code on your screen or go to cnbcevents.com to register. We hope to see you there. And we're back after this short break with the Dow. Losing steam. Down a couple hundred points. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. All right, the market's getting jumpy ahead of the Federal Reserve because we are selling off. The selling has really accelerated in just the last 10 to 20 minutes. The Dow is now down 474 points. The Nasdaq off 156. On a percentage basis, they're all about the same. We'll call it 1.5%. Inside the Dow, there are two stocks that are higher. They're Apple and Boeing. And at this rate, if we see this continue, there won't be any stocks that are higher. Real estate materials are consumer discretionary. They are the worst performers. They're the ones, by the way, that are likely to get hit just as much by higher rates, at least on the consumer side, maybe not on the stock valuation side. Inside the Dow, Nike, Nike, Travelers, and Caterpillar are your biggest laggards. They're down, Nike's down nearly 5%. So a lot of the consumer stocks are starting to get hit. Remember, higher rates, folks, are basically just a giant tax on any revolving debt you've got. In other words, not a fixed rate interest rate. All right, the energy crisis continues to be front of mind. And on that note, there were three significant events that just occurred in the past 24 hours you might not have heard of, but you should. Number one, a nuclear reactor went offline in Scotland. Now, we reached out to the company that operates its France's EDP, Electricity de France, and they told us the power plant will likely be offline for about a week. No distinct reason for the outage was given. Second, a separate nuclear reactor in Germany is likely to go down for maintenance because of a reported leak. German authorities say it's thankfully not a risk to the surrounding community, though the timing is obviously less than ideal. And finally, this is amazing, video shows a massive fire at an oil refinery in Venezuela. Energy officials blame the fire on a lightning strike and claim that it should not impact operations, although given the magnitude and size of the fire, it seems a little bit hard to believe. You can go look and there's other better videos in terms of the view, but it was a big one. Well, these disruptions are just some of the reasons why the energy market could remain off balance for some time and could keep the energy stock rally going. KeyBank today initiating coverage on the ENP sector saying there is still plenty of opportunity out there. Let's welcome in Tim Resvan. He is the managing director of equity research at KeyBank Capital Markets. Tim, good to have you back on CNBC. Where do you see the most opportunity in ENP? Because we like to lump them together because the ETFs but they're not. They're very different companies. 
Yeah, I think we're really excited about the mid-cap EMP space because we think there's a real sweet spot for them to deliver the growth that we believe the U.S. sorely needs. When you look at uh, inventories of refined products and crude oil down sharply, and you've seen real cartel-like behavior from the large caps who are really focused on excessive or aggressive cash return to shareholders, this is that Goldilocks setup we talked about in our notes for well-capitalized mid-caps to grow and be a true growth and income story. Yeah, and I'm looking at some of the names. I mean, Diamondback, uh, we, they talked about it. By the way, Stephanie Link talked about it with Scott in the halftime report. They're just kicking off money. They're doing their buyback, raising it by something like 18%. Free cash flow continues to be up. Travis Stice and his team there doing a great job by most measures. You like them, and yet stocks down today. The oil stocks really haven't done anything for a couple. Had a red-hot start to the year, but then they've just cooled off. How come? Well, I think the risk-off trade from recession fears, and then there's a China lockdown du jour that's weighing on sentiment. And I think if you look at some of the uh, other agencies out there that are putting forecasts for U.S. oil production growth, they've been really aggressive and, in our view, extremely wrong. We think U.S. oil production will continue to come in below kind of numbers that have been thrown out there by the big think tanks. There's just no really will or incentive aside from Chevron and Exxon, who we don't cover, they are growing like gangbusters in the Permian. But other than that, we simply don't see the growth that's there. So that's the disconnect that we see. And it's, it's this recession risk off that's really weighed on these stocks that ignored the fundamentals in both oil and natural gas that we think are very favorable. Yeah. And a lot of these companies have merged or they've changed names. One of these fancy names, you know, like Verizon, where you, well, what was that? You know, Civitas. Silverbow, who are they? Yeah, well, Civitas is essentially an aggregation of six smaller Colorado operators. Um, you had uh, a firm, Kimmeridge uh, Energy, came in and they spearheaded real, um, you know, aggregation and consolidation in the play. And they are driving, this is the model of what they're trying to put forward as a new normal for EMPs. Unlike the large caps, they're trying to push this model into the mid-cap space of very low growth and robust capital returns. Um, so this is a mid-cap essentially mimicking what's been uh, the theme du jour of the large caps. And um, lastly, Silverbow, they were a company that came out of restructuring in 2017. Mm -hmm. What's very exciting about them, they are a pure play bet on the dry gas area of the Eagleford Shale. We know that play, we've known it for a decade because of prolific oil production. There are some really uh, high quality pockets of 100% natural gas that these very profitable wells, EOG has been talking about it quite a bit. And Silverbow is really the pure play way to, to play that. Tim Resvan, KeyBank Capital Markets. Tim, pleasure to get you on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Up next, it is not just shares of Beyond Meat that are hitting an all-time low. One of its top executives arrested over the weekend for third-degree battery. But that's not half the story. We're going to dig into this bizarre tale that you've got to hear. All that after the break is the Dow down nearly 500 points. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Beyond Meat have been beyond bad for investors this year, trading at an all-time low as it looks like not even a partnership with McDonald's could help out sales. Kate Rogers joining us now with more on this story and some other stuff. Kate. 
Brian, the stock is down over 70% year-to-date, trading below its IPO price of $25 a share. The company said has had a rough go this year, which was supposed to be a really big one for partnerships with QSRs, McDonald's, and Yum! Brands, the parent of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. Now, to be fair, it has had tests with KFC of its plant-based nuggets and with McDonald's of the McPlant Burger, but those tests have ended as planned. Last week, McDonald's CEO Chris Kemchinski seemed to imply that sales of the McPlant were soft, as analysts had projected while giving a talk in Chicago. He mentioned that items that don't sell as well don't stay on the menu, broadly speaking, and ended with this. Take a listen. If you want McPlant, I would tell you, buy McPlant. Now, last quarter, CEO Ethan Brown said progress for the company was taking longer than expected. They cut workforce with layoffs and also cut their guidance. Inflation has been weighing on it with customers going to private label uh, plant-based meat or traditional meat due to prices, even though the company is continuing to work toward price parity, Brian. All right, Kate, while you are here, we want to get to the other Beyond Meat headline. And this is certainly not one every day. And I know people have been having fun with it, but the reality is uh, is it's just Somebody got hurt, right? so it's, you don't want to make too light of it. The COO of Beyond Meat, 30-year Tyson food executive, apparently got into a, an altercation driving home from a college football game. I guess there was not only punches thrown, but apparently he, he bit the guy's nose. That's right, Brian. COO of Beyond Meat, Doug Ramsey, was arrested over the weekend for allegedly biting a man's nose after an altercation following a college football game in Arkansas. He was charged with terroristic threatening and third-degree battery. The Washington County, Arkansas information page says that he was booked Saturday night and released on Sunday. Beyond Meat did not respond to multiple requests for comment from CNBC, nor is Ramsey. He did join the plant-based meat company in December, coming there, as you mentioned, from three decades at Tyson Foods. He oversaw poultry and its McDonald's businesses. Ethan Brown touted his experience with those brands as the company was set to lean further into chicken and those partnerships I mentioned with Yum! Brands and McDonald's, as well as its Planet partnership with Pepsi. The stock, as we said, is down over 70% this year and about the same amount since Ramsey came on board in December. So quite a story there, and we'll wait to hear uh, any response from the company. I know, and we got to remember, somebody got hurt. Somebody mm-hmm. got bit and punched, apparently. Kate Rogers, thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up, more on the markets here. Dow is down 471. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Well, like most of the market, most things, muni bond returns on track for their worst year in decades. Fed data showed last week that outstanding muni bond debt is sitting at its lowest level since 2014. So with another rate hike tomorrow and very likely maybe one or two more before the year end, what does it mean for the muni market and borrowing costs? Let's bring in Cooper Howard, Director of and Fixed Income Strategist at the Schwab Center for Financial Research. So it appears, Cooper, that not even towns and cities and states are immune from this rate hike. You know, thanks for having me on this afternoon, Brian. We do expect the Fed to hike rates tomorrow. Our view is that it's going to be 75 basis points, and that should bring up um, the view of longer-term interest rates If you look at where longer-term interest rates could go, we think that there's a little bit of upside from here. And even though the Fed is going to be hiking rates tomorrow, what I'm more closely going to be watch is the summary of economic projections and also the dots plot. This is the first time that we're going to get the 2025 dots, and we'll be watching what the path of future rate hikes is going to be. 
Because if you look at the treasury market, in the treasury market, it tends to be that the 10-year treasury peaks at about the same level at which the Fed fund rate peaks out for each cycle. And right now, the market's betting that the peak Fed fund rate's going to be above 4%. So that shows that there might be a little bit more upside in yeah. 10-year treasury rates from here. And it could be that munis would follow suit and move higher as well. You know, you just gave me a good idea, Cooper, for my random but interesting segment. I'm going to talk about how the Fed's dot plots last year showed almost no rate hikes one year ago. <laughs> kind of amazing how that changes. I had talked at the beginning of the show about how there's some hidden, hidden tax increases in higher rates, and it was because of this segment. If my town needs to borrow $20 million to build a new water line, they're going to do it at a higher cost, Correct. Um, given that we have seen interest rates move up, then that does add to their borrowing costs. But in aggregate, if you look historically, those borrowing costs tend to still be very low. So that's not necessarily a concern we have right now of higher borrowing costs for credit. We actually, I would flip it around on the other side and say that higher rates are a benefit for investors because they can begin to earn more income on their yield overall. 100%. If you buy a four and a half, I think we saw 5% muni bond in Illinois, like today or yesterday, for the first time in a long time. If you can afford to buy these instruments, you're going to get a little bit of return. How many of these are, are truly tax-free, Cooper? You know, the broad majority of the municipal bond market is tax-exempt, so they pay interest from me. Um, they pay interest that's exempt from federal and state income taxes. Now, there is a small portion that is subject to federal income taxes. We actually think that that part of the market could be an area of opportunity for clients. Um, when we're talking to our clients out there in the market, we think that comparing taxable municipal bonds to longer-term corporate bonds, that makes sense. If you look at the municipal bond market, including the taxable municipal bond market, about two-thirds of that yeah. market's the highest credit quality. So that compares favorably to the corporate market, where corporate bonds are usually about 50%, triple B, the lowest rung of investment grade. So one, yep. you're getting higher credit quality, and you could also potentially be getting higher yields, even though both are considered taxable. Cooper Howard, Schwab, good stuff. Cooper, thank you very much. All right, still ahead, Hertz upping its bet on electric vehicles in less than a year after it struck a deal with Tesla and is now tapping GM to expand that EV fleet. And by the way, as we head to break, the Dow now down more than 500 points. The NASDAQ off 1.5%, and Bitcoin is now back below 19,000. Bitcoin at 18,845. Everything is getting hit, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. A rather electrifying deal in the auto space. Sorry about that. Hertz teaming up with General Motors to expand its EV fleet. Phil Abode joining us now with what each company hopes to gain from the partnership. A lot, I would imagine, Phil. Yeah, Brian, they look at this as a win-win, and it'll play out over the next five years. Here's the deal between Hertz and General Motors. It calls for 175,000 GM electric vehicles to be sold to Hertz. They're going to have these across all brands and all scope of vehicles. It is the largest EV fleet buy ever for Hertz. And for Hertz, initially, they're going to be targeting Los Angeles, Miami, and Orlando. Makes sense. Those are high destination markets, but they plan to have these EVs nationwide eventually. As for General Motors, this is part of their goal of hitting 1 million in annual EV sales by 2025. How important is this deal for both companies? That's just a taste of what we're going to be talking about coming up a little bit later on. 
on Closing Bell. You do not want to miss this exclusive with Mary Barra, the chair of General Motors, as well as Stephen Schur, CEO of Hertz. We'll talk about the deal and really a lot of other things that are going on in the market today, guys, uh, given everything that's happened uh, and questions about the strength of the consumer, et cetera. So lots to discuss during the closing bell. Do I have to return the car with a full charge, Phil? Or do I prepay for the charge? 10%. Minimum 10%. Oh, there is a minimum. Minimum 10%. Look, that's that's a lot better than saying you have to fully charge it somewhere. That's true. I, I was kind of joking. Minim- makes sense. That way they can actually move the car around the airport, wherever it is. Phil, thank you. That does it for us. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.